society. It was a lot of discrimination, a lot of sexual harassment, mm -hmm. a lot of nightmares I had about, you know, mm -hmm. club owners constantly coming on to me and doing disgusting things that I, you know, still think about and want to, like, punch them in the face. Armed with microphone and recorder, this is Maidcast, a show about idealists, movers, shakers, and creators, and how they turned a dream into a tangible reality of success. I'm Marie Daniels, and today on the show, you are in for a treat as we spend the next half hour with sexy, sassy, straightforward jazz songstress Sasha Boutros. This interview was recorded just before her departure to Paris to record three new songs for her upcoming remastered album, New York Opera Nui. Listen as Sasha talks about her inspirations, her hurdles, and her favorite places on the planet to listen to live music. Hello, folks. I'm here with Sasha Boutros, our um, local celebrity here in San Diego, but she's well-renowned throughout the world for her jazz singing, and we're really excited to have her here. And She's going to give us a little update as to where she's been, what she's doing now, and where she's going. Hi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Very well. So, Sasha, kind of give our audience a little idea as to why you decided to become a singer in the first place. It was a big accident. <laughs> it really was. It was a big accident. There was a, I, I was a, a, on the path to playing pro soccer, mm -hmm. and on the path there, I got injured, and in that little interim of time while I was sitting out, I went to a place called Mix, and there was a singer named Romy Kay that was singing, and... I am so competitive, <laughs> and I saw her singing, and she had like a flower in her hair, mm -hmm. and she looked like Billie Holiday, except she was white. She was, mm -hmm. but she's, she, you know, she had that, the the Caucasian Billie Holiday, I say, mm -hmm. like, but she was so like elegant and cool, and then I heard her singing. She was great too. Uh -huh. But I said, like, Mom, I said to my mom who was sitting, we were having dinner, I could do better. I sing better in the shower, you know. <laughs> and my mom goes, Yeah, I'm sure you could. And she's like, What? You don't think I could? And she's like laughing at me. And I literally like went and became a singer the next week to just prove that I could do it <laughs> because of the being so competitive. And uh, it wasn't as easy as I thought. <laughs> so clearly, you've been competitive then since you were very young. Yes. Can you share a little funny story about when you were young and competitive? Mm. Do you have siblings? I don't. Oh, so you were competitive with everyone around you. <laughs> Pretty much. I had a dad who was like, that. you have to be the best in everything. And so, like, I would just strive to be the best in everything. If somebody would kick a ball and 76 miles per hour, I would try to do it 79 or 80, you know. Or if somebody got five aces during a tennis match, I'd try to get 10. <laughs> now, how, did, how were your parents encouraging you to be the best. I know every parent has a different style. What was the style of your parents to make you strive so high? So my dad was more, uh, whatever you set your mind to, you can accomplish. You mm -hmm. want to be the best in school. Mm -hmm. You want to have the best education and the best career. And it was kind of along the lines of that, mm -hmm. being organized and having integrity and respect and being the best at being authentic. Mm -hmm. And I think my mom was pretty much on the same page, except she was always put some makeup on and brush her hair and look like a lady all the time. <laughs> right. Hey, it's a good combo. Yeah. It's a very good combo. Yeah. All right. So you decided to do this as a competitive dare to yourself. When did it become a pathway to you saying, I'm going to do this as a career? Was it what like was the it was, clincher? It was the accident. <laughs> you know how they say the one door closes and the other one opens, right? Well, all of a sudden, the soccer doors just started closing. And, I mean, I went from, you know, like, Olympic development team to uh, college scholarship 
to, um, you know, drafts of national teams to singing. I mean, literally within like two, really, two weeks. That's a big jump. Yeah. Like, the leap there is not, it's not seen as a tie very easily. <laughs> no, and so it's just like they kept closing on the left and they kept mm-hmm. opening on the right. I kept walking through the doors on the right. Okay. All right. I, let's see where this is going. And, and I said to my mom, I'm going to be a singer. And she was like, ha, yeah, right. Finish college first. I was like, <laughs> In my last year at USD, <laughs> and everything was, yeah, you're so funny, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you know, so that was about it, and I just went and became a singer right after that, and slowly but surely I realized, wow, I love this. This is fantastic. I was, like, this is my life. Mm-hmm. This is me. And I realized soccer couldn't last forever. So I still played for, like, five more years, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. And I know you've started back again a little bit, have you not? I never really stopped. Like, I constantly jump in and out mm-hmm. of playing. I'm such a tomboy. <laughs> no one would know it. Well, you've chosen the right career for the heels that your mom prepared you for and the, and the drive that your dad prepared you for. Sure, although I'd be in soccer clothes if it were up to me. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you just start taking lessons? Did you, I mean, how did you pursue the singing route from such an opposite career path? So with anything that I've ever done in my life, I've always looked up to somebody who did it and mm-hmm. chosen a teacher that was amazing at uh-huh. what they did and basically uh, walk the talk, talk uh-huh. the walk, walk the talk? Was it walk the talk? Walk the talk. Yeah, <laughs> walk the talk. And so I decided that if, since I played classical piano, mm-hmm. that if I was going to learn how to sing, I would learn the right way to sing. So I studied opera. Wow. And the only reason I didn't become an opera singer was because it cost too much. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Because I kept getting sent to teachers, and they kept saying, you're the next Maria Callas, oh, my God. And all of them would say the same thing. But it cost $250 Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Oh, wow. Okay. Plus, then we're going to have to audition to your here and there and take you here and there. and they, But they were all excited. Like, you're going right. to be, like, the next opera diva in, like, mm-hmm. 20 years or mm-hmm. 15 years. And I was like, fuck that, 15 years. <laughs> I want to sing next week. <laughs> you know? And jazz was the way that you could do that. I literally got a gig, like, the first week that I decided to be a singer. Wow. Now, I know that you, I've, I've read that you are fluent in five languages, sing in ten. So I recently discovered I sing in thirteen. Wow. When I decided to count. What are those thirteen? Okay, so it was Spanish, English, French, Italian. I said English, right? Uh-huh. Spanish, English, French, Italian, Yiddish, Russian, German, Portuguese, Greek, Latin. Wow. Hold on, there's more. <laughs> there's more, I can't remember. You have to name some languages. Ah, there's more. Wow. I, I wrote them all down. I couldn't believe it. Like, I, wrote, I literally wrote them. Of all the songs. That Arabic. Mm-hmm. So we got to 11 now. There's two more. I know all them. Jeez. Now, which ones do you speak fluently? Spanish, English, French, Italian. Mm-hmm. I speak some German, and I speak some Arabic, and I speak, uh, I kind of speak Portuguese. I studied it for a while now. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, were you always just a really... Uh, did you pick up languages very easily from the time you started learning them? And was it just something that comes naturally to you? Yeah, a little bit, because our house we grew up with Spanish, French, um, Arabic, and mm-hmm. English. Wow. And so I had to go back and relearn French. Even though, like, I heard it mm-hmm. and I could speak a little, I had to, I learned it, like, classically well mm-hmm. with writing and everything. And then Italian, it took me three months to learn fluently. Wow. With the writing, too. Okay. Which, I mean... Because you had a good base to be able to... Yeah. And USD had a great program because basically they would immerse you. So Monday, Wednesday, and Friday you were in the classroom, and Tuesday, Thursday you were in a language class. Oh, very cool. 
And uh, I, I actually went and learned Italian to talk to the people in Little Italy to find out why they were whistling at me and what they were saying. <laughs> that right. little soccer body yeah. that I had walking by, and then it turns out that they were speaking Sicilian. <laughs> was it very, very different? Very different. Wow. But okay. I speak some Sicilian, too. So, like, now I understand what they say. So, yeah. if they want to talk right. some, you know, you know not so good stuff, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got it covered. <laughs> Well, you definitely live in an international neighborhood, which is very nice, I'm sure, for you. I'm I sure love that it. That's wonderful. How long have you lived in Little Italy now? About nine, ten years. Really? Ten. Wow. Yeah. I did see you recently when you were driving or riding your bicycle down the streets of Little Italy at the wee hours of the morning. Oh, like at 2 a.m. I loved that. <laughs> that was a great video. That's so funny. That was my friend Marilyn goes... You know, I'm having a birthday, and I need to do 40 awesome things before I turn 40. I said, great. What are we doing? And she says, let's go on a bike ride. <laughs> okay. Right now. Yeah, it, it was, was right perfect. now. It was 147. I loved it. It was perfect. I loved seeing that. I don't remember if I was up or I saw it the next day, but it was really pretty great. I really liked seeing you kind of talk to everybody on the street at 147 in the morning. It was so cool. <laughs> and there were people out everywhere. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was neat. Oh, that's what I love about downtown. It's fantastic. And ours is so beautiful. Our downtown is small enough to feel like neighborhoods and big enough to feel like city. Yeah. yeah sounds great. All right. Well... When you started getting into this business, what would you say was one of the number one hurdles you had to come across? Being a woman. Really? As a jazz singer? Or just as a singer in general? I think just being a woman in business. Mm, okay, why? Because no one respects a young woman. How young were you? 20. Okay. Who knows? Mm-hmm. It's like everybody's Italian or Jewish mm-hmm. or that owns these places mm-hmm. that you know, you're going and it's very macho cultures. Or Mexicans, some mm-hmm. Mexico City people I worked for. It's like, you're a girl. Like, what the hell do you know? Right. Well, just, uh, sweetheart, just look pretty. It was a lot of discrimination, a lot of sexual harassment, mm-hmm. a lot of nightmares I had about, you know, mm-hmm. club owners constantly coming on to me or doing disgusting things that I, you know, still think about and want to, like, punch them in the face. <laughs> yeah. But now, have you have you seen that change over the last decade or so of your career? Like, where the culture is changing? I think that I've changed. Okay. I don't think the industry's changed. Really? Like, look at what just happened with Harvey well, Weinstein. This is true. Nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. If I tell you, I don't even want to say on camera, like, mm-hmm. some of the stuff that happened to me, but it's like I could have sued right. several times, mm-hmm. ten times. And why do you think that, why, well, you could probably answer this really well, but what is it that you think women feel to where they decide not to? They don't do anything about because it. Because you need the money and you have to show up the next week and you want the job and you know that that person has so much more leverage. And, for example, in San Diego, mm-hmm. we live in a really small village. Mm-hmm. And so if my Friday guy, where I draw 100 people and I'm doing great, mm-hmm. and my Friday guy decides to tell the Saturday guy, you know, don't hire her because blah, 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 and right. make up something about you, which has happened before to me. Mm-hmm. That's not true. He has the pool, and he tells his friend, and he's doing it like it's, I'm saving you from something. Right. And so then suddenly you don't have a job anywhere. Right. Because it's that easy. Wow. It's that easy for someone to not uh, feel comfortable with themselves and do something not good to you. Wow. So I think that's why a lot of women don't say anything, because I think that they're just like, okay, I'm just going to grin and bear it. it. Mm -hmm. It's part of the industry. Mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, I I think it's more like how you handle it Mm -hmm. is is really, you know. It's more of a testament to your your respect level. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Like, like you know, our beautiful mayor. Yeah, yes. 
I experienced him in a different way than other women did. While they freaked out, I just talked to him like a Jewish mom, and he just, like, you know, <laughs> just suddenly I heard, yes, dear. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to get sassy now. Right. That's what changed, because mm-hmm. I got really sassy. Okay. Well, and that comes with maturity and experience, right? Yeah. Now, currently, I know that you've been, you, you know, you've been traveling all over the place for the years that I have known you. Where is one of your favorite places to sing? Hawaii. Hawaii? Hawaii. Because the people are so kind. Yeah? Yeah. Now, what is the difference between the industry in the different cities and the appreciation for music? Uh, like, Hawaii is another planet, for example. <laughs> New York is like, I'm going to kick your ass and throw you out in the curb, and then after that, I'm going to, like, bat you in with a baseball bat. And if I like you, that's if I like you. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, and then it's like initiation, and then you're in, and it's cool. Every place is so different. Like, mm-hmm. Europe has a totally different standard and way that they treat their artists mm-hmm. than New York. And New York has a totally different way than San Diego and Hawaii, different than here in Japan. Well, that's another story. But, like, you know... Every... Well, what are some of those differences in some of those places? So, in Japan, mm-hmm. I was, like, a top ten artist. Mm-hmm. And the promoters treated the women like we were their property. And they worked us to the bone. And when once I asked if I could actually sleep for two hours, mm-hmm. I was told, like, you can sleep when the tour is done. And it was like, ah, <laughs> you can sleep on the train ride, like, to the next city. And literally, it was like a plane, a train, and a bus, a car, and one day, I remember. Wow. And then it was rehearsal, two shows. Then you have to say hi to all the Japanese businessmen mm-hmm. and, and say yes to every drink. So one time, I had 24 drinks sitting on the bar. Because oh. you, you can't say no. Mm-hmm. And and then it's like now it's two o'clock, and you have to you have a call at three forty five, and it's like okay, can I just please leave and go sleep for an hour? And it's like we have businessman here, you have to stay till everything finished. And it's wow. like I'm not a, I'm not a freaking hooker. Like leave me alone. Like I sang, <laughs> I did my job, and I'm going to sleep now. Yeah. But it's like that's the contract, and it's in the contract. It's like we own you until it's done. Wow. And so that was hard. Now, how are they at um, the appreciation for pay for artists? I know the music the music industry is tough, especially here in San Diego, because we have a whole different culture on that when you're talking about in some of the lounges and things. In Japan, do they have a deep appreciation for musicians? This is the one thing about Japan. You suck it up in that way because mm-hmm. you're, you're bus- it's business. Mm-hmm. But, like, they have such a deep appreciation. Nobody will say a word while you're performing. Wow. So Nobody will quiet. talk. Everybody claps after every mm-hmm. solo. They understand the dynamics of the music. They understand the music. They love jazz. Mm-hmm. They love jazz singers. And they're so when there's a show going on, mm-hmm. the utmost respect of all respects that you could ever have probably anywhere in the world in Japan. Wow. Yeah, totally different. In San Diego, like if you had a bunch of San Diego people sitting in the audience and mm-hmm. they start chatting, mm-hmm. the Japanese would kick them out. Wow. Because that's just not that's just, just not the way. It's taboo. Like this is an artist, and you give them that respect. And Europe's like that, actually. Europe's like that. New York's like that. Yeah. Yeah. Except the audience in New York is like, if you're not good, they'll boo you. <laughs> you throw tomatoes at you. <laughs> they've got they've got a short a short attention span too. If they or don't you, like you, you're yeah, out. you're out. Or yeah. they'll be staring at you like. They'll burn a hole in you. Like, if they don't like what you're performing, and they'll be like, mm, girl, mm-mm, uh-uh, uh-uh. 
And you'll see their face going, mm, 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 mm. So you get immediate uh, reaction from an audience in, in, in New York? New York? In a second. Yeah. In but a you, second. But you love that high, don't you? I mean, you well, being a competitive person, I'm sure that you love that bit of challenge. I love getting my ass kicked in New York because it's like you better bring your A game. That's it. So if you if you put that effort in and that work and you show up and you do the best you can do uh-huh. and you feel good about your performance and they like it, mm-hmm. you earned their applause. Yeah. You earned that because you worked your ass off to get it. And it means something. For it's me. not just like a fake, like, oh, mm-hmm. everybody's so cool, it's everybody smiling, whatever. Yeah. I really rather nobody clap for me then. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're in Hawaii, I mean, it's just, if, if for whatever reason, it always just, I always love watching when you go to Hawaii because you're really? always so excited when you're in Hawaii. You, you have such a different look. I think lately, in this last year, I have enjoyed watching your live casts every time. You know, you have, you've got random ones when you're in a park and someone's playing a guitar and you decide to start singing with this person in New York while you're there for a few days. You go to Hawaii, you're just so thrilled to see everybody or you're going to practice and you're just going to belt out La Vie en Rose. And, you know, I, I've just really enjoyed this last year's uh, hey, thanks. Uh, live videos of you. They I, always pop up. and I, I kind I of enjoying them. it too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had like a, a, a near-death experience and I just kind of decided like, eh, if I'm going to be a... Poor, starving artist. I'm going to enjoy it. You have had a rough health year. Yeah, but that's okay. You know, it's made me more grateful. Good. So I'm happy about that. Good. Yeah. All right, so what are you doing right about now? What's going on in life? So I just recently had the opportunity to have um, my old album, which was New York After Dark, uh-huh. revamped and remastered, and we're putting three bonus tracks and releasing it in France, and it's calling called New York Après Nuit. Oh, and uh, three new songs on there, and um, and new pictures, new everything, mm-hmm. and um, gonna be distributing it and putting it out in France, and you know, seeing what happens over there. Fantastic. So when are you leaving? I'm leaving on Wednesday. <laughs> are you ready? on a jet plane? And I don't know when I'll be back again. <laughs> <laughs> are you ready, or do you still have a lot going on through your head of trying to prepare and and m- mentally get yourself? Acclimated to the idea of not being here for a while because I know it's not a. Oh short, no! I'm like jump. I'm like I'm like I can go I can go in a second. <laughs> I, can. I think that's only lucky though because I'm not married and I don't have children. You know I do have like responsibilities here, mm-hmm. but you know things keep taking care of themselves lately. Good. I don't know how, but my mom said to me, uh, "Well, you've been planting seeds for a long time, and suddenly they just decided to all sprout." And I'm like, "Yeah, but people are so kind to me lately." And she's like, because you were so kind for so long in your life. And then suddenly, like, all that kindness is coming back to you. And I was like, whoa. What a thought. Right. That's oh. overwhelming. You know, and I, I I do think that sometimes we, you know, we get through points in our life where we think that we're working so hard and so hard and we don't feel like people are appreciating it. And so when we do get that appreciation, you know, I think that it, it's a, it's a bit of a shock where it really shouldn't be. Because we have, like your mom said, been sowing seeds for some sort of result. Now you're getting the result that you want. Yeah, I've been watering my garden for <laughs> a few years, let's say. Many, yeah. many years, actually. One <laughs> is like 18 years now, almost 20 years. So what is, one of the, what is one of your ultimate goals with your career? So recently my career goals changed, which is so funny. Okay. What were they before and what they're going to be? What are they now? I say the pre-death and after mm-hmm. after living whatever it is um before it was like you know when in my 20s i just want to be i want to be famous i want to be 
famous. That's like all I could think about is mm-hmm. I want to be famous. Well, I recently, you know, not recently actually, a while back, I learned that fame doesn't mean fortune. <laughs> <laughs> is that not funny? Yeah. That is hilarious, right? So, yeah. And I was like, what? How can I keep climbing the charts and it doesn't reflect on my bank account? How come? <laughs> what? You're going to do a feature story on me? I'm still poor. You know, like, you know. Yeah. With, what? There's a line out the door to see me and I'm only making like $300. Like, where's the money going? You know, like, you know, it's just like that. Right. You know? And I just like, I was just like, you know, and it's all superficial. Mm-hmm. And everything is fluff. Right. You know, in our business, there has to be some fluff, right? Mm-hmm. Because it has to be a little marshmallowy, right? <laughs> but I was just like, I just want to be successful in selling records and not just that, but making people feel joy through whatever that it is that I do, whether it's singing or being kind or just being a nice person, which I think my whole focus shifted off of, you know. I think it was getting bitter for a while there ah. about a lot of things because nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. And I just kept working and working and working. And then I... I don't know. I had a little come to Jesus meeting with myself. Okay. So it's shifted, you know, and then all of a sudden changing my perspective and my attitude, everything started changing around me. And I realized getting there, what then when I get there, mm-hmm. what then am I going to want? Like, right. Okay. I'm famous now. Now what? Right. And it's like, well, I just want to f- wake up and be a good person and that let that reflect in my music and be creative in my projects. And Hey, if I don't get there, fine. But you've done it the way that you wanted to and... Authentically. Mm-hmm. I'd be okay with that. So what would you say to any any budding musician that is out there and is, is a little distraught because it doesn't come as easily as maybe they thought? I mean, it's hard. I mean, you look around and there are these YouTube sensations and da 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 And, you know, it looks like there are so many of these examples so anybody that is a true musician at heart, you know, that is a little bit distressed on during their path, what would be the one little nugget of, of inspiration you would give to some young musician out there starting? They probably wouldn't understand, but I would tell them to sit in as many jam sessions as they could, to okay. be kind to everyone on the way up, because on the way down, you got to say hi to the people you stepped on on the way up. So be nice no matter what. Humility is the, like, number one thing that you could ever have, no matter what. And I learned a hard lesson with that one. Because I, I got, I climbed up real fast, and then I fell down right away. <laughs> so, around the Japan time, you know. And and nothing, nothing lasts in our business. So, it's like, I would say to them, enjoy the ride that you're on, and don't feel so frustrated. Take a step back. And I, I Dalai Lama says, uh, success is measured by what you had to give up to get it to get to where you're going and so it's like if you look at your success in terms of that mm-hmm. well hey if I look I'm like I'm freaking so successful are you kidding me <laughs> I gave up a shit ton and I know that like you know that if that success is measured by that then you know but when you're young and you're going it's like well I didn't get this club and I didn't get this and I haven't played here and I haven't mm-hmm. played there I still do that a little bit you know I haven't played the symphony and right. I, you know I'm still kind of like what Come well, on, guys. Yet. <laughs> you know, you know, I know I'm good well, enough to stand on that stage, right? Yeah. But like that's what you know you're doing and you're as a young person and I would just say like just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, take a step back and keep going. If you really want to make it, just keep going because you never know. All right. Frankie Lane said, he used to tell me all the time, it took me seventeen years to become an overnight sensation. <laughs> and he worked very, very, very hard at it. Mm-hmm. 
Now you've worked with a lot of greats. Who are some of your favorites then that just make you swoon because you were able to work with them? Ooh, Julio Iglesias. Really? He puts so much reverb on his mic. And <laughs> to all the girls I loved before. <laughs> oh my God. Is he just a sweet man? He's like, oh, I just, oh, like, hello, hello, you know, I couldn't, I was like smiling because he was a soccer player too. Oh. That became a singer. Okay. At the exact same age as me. So I was telling him that and he goes, oh my God, we have so much in common. Like, him, I love, just, I love him. Nancy Wilson is one of the greatest living jazz singers alive. And I was lucky enough to inherit her rhythm section. And oh, wow. Kind of have her mentor me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so... I love her. Mm-hmm. And as she says, I sing my ass off. That's what she says. <laughs> and so let me know, who, who are some of the, just for our audience, uh, list some of the, the notables that you, you've really enjoyed singing with. That I've enjoyed singing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. So I, two amazing jazz singers who happen to be my friends mm-hmm. and are like the top jazz artists in the world. Karen Allison mm-hmm. and Anne Hampton Calloway. Like, I love singing with them. And I love singing with Anne. She always makes, like, lyrics up on the fly. And <laughs> you, have, you have no idea where you're going with the song. And it's just so much fun because it's whatever you're feeling in the moment. But uh, Do you enjoy doing the impromptu jazz sessions? Yes. Because <laughs> I know that you do them. Yeah. And you always just look like you're beaming when you, when you have something that's unexpected. I love the so unexpected lovely. in yes. anything. Well, you saw that from the, those little posts on the Facebook yes. thing. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, well, they're perfect. I love them. And then, uh, who were your inspirations when you first started dabbling in the idea of jazz being the thing that you were going to do? I know you were at opera first, but who, who did you look at and say, jazz, that's why? Sarah Vaughn, I loved Sarah Vaughn because she sounded kind of like an opera singer. Okay. And she was... Yet, like a badass jazz singer. Mm-hmm. She was an instrument. I loved Sarah Long. So I listened to her a lot. Yeah. Who do you listen lot. to a lot right now? Is there anybody up and coming that you've heard recently that you are just overwhelmed by? And you hear a long, silent pause. <laughs> well, I know you, ha- you have a lot coming at you, you know. So, you know, I would assume that you probably hear a lot of new music. Whose voice do I like that's now? I like Calabria Forti. She has a nice voice. It's nice and rich. These are like artists that are well-known. Maybe they deserve more than what they're getting at this point. Mm-hmm. Who else do I like? Um, I like... What's that one? Uh, that she's kind of... Melanie Gardot. She's pretty cool. She has a nice sound. I like those low, sultry kind of singers. I think I may have to put some links to some of these artists on here so people can kind of listen to it while they're listening to you also and, and understand what you're hearing and, and some of the, the the cool stuff that you, you've got going on. Those, those girls are cool. I um, I like singers that are real singers. They're instruments, you know, that, that that's why, like those four ladies I mentioned, they're mm-hmm. all, they could sing without, you know, you could hear them live, no auto-tune, nothing, and they're fantastic. And that is a rare combination these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very rare. Yeah. yeah. But there's so many great singers. I just like the ones where I stand in front of, uh-huh. and they make me feel like I either want to drink six martinis and smoke <laughs> a cigarette, <laughs> I want to stab myself, or I want to jump up and down. They give me some kind of feeling mm-hmm. like from their life 
of great emotion. Have you ever been in a, um, maybe after a performance or anything and had an antidote or um, a fan come up and tell you anything really touching? Yeah. You want to share it? No. Oh. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Like a lot. And how does it make you feel? Uh, sometimes I cry because apparently they say that I give them a gift oh. or help them in some way or I unblock mm-hmm. something they were um, emotionally unable to do themselves. Mm-hmm that was hurting them for a long time, or sometimes it was the death of somebody, a lot of death that they couldn't move on from. And they said, they would say, well, I'm sharing with you. They'd Mm -hmm. come up and say that I changed their life in some way. I'm not really sure how that happens, but it happens when it's very quiet. Mm -hmm. And I never feel like it's me. I feel like it's God or the universe talking through me. Mm -hmm. And so once I realized that, like, that's kind of my purpose. Right. I decided to, like, have a better attitude. <laughs> so I just do a hundred million percent with an open, 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 beaming heart wherever I sing, and and, and, and that's it. And, well, and I think that's what music has the power to do, is it has the power to sort of create miracles that are, that are not understandable. And they don't have to be understood, but music does have... It has a it has a big powerful role to play in our lives, and I think that when a person is touched by it, it is something overwhelming and unexplained. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so fantastic. private and personal, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? It's like I remember hearing Andrea Bocelli sing Caruso, which is one of my favorite songs. My mom took me to see him in Las Vegas, and he was the only song that he played and sang himself on the piano. And I've heard him since, and I've mm-hmm. heard him sing the Ave Maria and different things, and he's always beautiful, and I love Andrea Bocelli. Uh-huh. But that particular song, he said something about it, and it really, it's something that touched him, and then when he shared it with us, I could feel everybody feel what he was feeling, mm-hmm. you know, and so it was beautiful. Um, that's, that's a moment you can never recapture, mm-hmm. but the vibration of the music is like all that, those different vibrations are what are... You know, people are feeling right, even if it's heavy metal or rock, or you're, you know, it's like, you know, people want to be like they're angry and they want to hear that, and it's like this feels good, and suddenly they're like, oh, I feel so much better. So, do you have a particular favorite, very complicated, difficult song to sing? I don't think anything's difficult. Really? Yeah. None, not even some of the other languages that are like. Like some, I can't even imagine jazz in German. I just can't. I just don't even, like, for whatever reason, I just can't even imagine. I don't know. You just, you know, my Leibischtischen. You know, it's like, it's the same. It's like, like when you're singing, like, Bésame, bésame mucho, como si fuera esta noche. Cette chanson d'autrefois, je la chantais pour toi. You just, I don't know, I just think it's easy, but, like, I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, I guess if I was singing in Japanese, it might be hard. You don't sing in Japanese. Chinese would be really hard. That would be really hard. Oh, no, Vietnamese would be even harder. I couldn't see myself singing in Vietnamese. You know what is surprising to me, though, is how beautifully soft Arabic sounds. Arabic's so beautiful. I love it. Ofra Hafsa, when I was younger, was one of my favorite things to listen to. Really? I just loved listening to her voice. Did you grow up kind of, like, 
with a lot of Arabic influence yeah. Yeah, in the household. Yeah. yeah. I'm an only child also, but my cousins were all, yeah. So you listened, listen. you ate the food mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. yeah, my mom was forced to learn how to, as a Filipino woman, she was forced to learn how to cook Arabic food because... So your dad was Lebanese. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, my stepfather. And so, you know, but that was from the time I was five Lebanese Filipino. I know, right? So kind strange. of cool. I also know that you, you have an interesting... Uh, you have an in- interesting um, uh, ethnic mix, which is Lebanese and, and Mexican, which mm-hmm. I think is such a cool... French Lebanese, so it's like a tabbouleh taco with like a <laughs> butter sauce on top. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I know, that, I know that we have that in common, and so I always love that you talk about that, and you do make light of it, but I think it's an interesting thing and in an interesting time. Ah, but I talked to you about it, and it's the, probably the second time ever in 17 years I've actually talked about it on tape. I never tell anyone I'm Lebanese. Why is that? Because I got discriminated against so many times. Mm-hmm. I think that people look at me and they don't know what I am, and that's been really Because you look kind of exotic and beautiful, so they can't kind of tell. They're like, maybe she's Asian, maybe she's Latin, maybe she's Latin Asian, you know, like... <laughs> And San Diego doesn't help. Everybody just thinks I'm Mexican because we're so close to the border. And so, but I confuse people. But I don't see that. I see kind of Spanish and I Mm -hmm. see like some kind of Asian, but I'm not sure what kind, but not like maybe half. I could see it's Mm -hmm. like maybe half, but Mm -hmm. then I could see like the other parts, you know, because it's all mixed up because of the the shape of your face and your nose and your eyebrows, you know, it's like your your big eyes, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. you look like a couple of things. Yeah. And nobody can really pinpoint it, but I know... You know, I, because we're, you know, personal friends, I, I have always known this. So you were discriminated against. Now, how do you feel about what's happening now? And we're in very, very interesting times. And you were an artist. And so this is, I'm sure, a conversation you've had, especially mm-hmm. as of late. I usually stay away from politics. I did have a, you know, my grandfather was from Syria, from Damascus. Mm-hmm. And that's where my dad's from. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like anything that's <laughs> happening. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. I think like again, we're lucky we're in California. Yeah. I think we have a little more tolerance um, in California for what's what's happening, and I think we're kind of waiting out our time. But I do know too that you've got a compadre out there. Another three and a half years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'll be in Paris part of that time. That'll be nice. (laughs) Now, with you departing for Paris, do you have plans for when you get back? I have a CD release planned in December at um, Martini's Above Fourth, kind of holiday martini show. I've got to throw a couple of holiday songs. Perfect. And uh, to, you know, promote the new album because of the new tracks and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I have that planned. And then in February at the Club M at the Grand Del Mar, ah. I have an anti-Valentine's Day party. <laughs> I love it. There is no funny Valentine. <laughs> Nobody gets to have that. Uh-huh. And it's it's going to be like a party. Like, Good. okay, it's Valentine's Day and we love each other, so get over it. Like, let's have a party, <laughs> you know? So I was debating whether to do a, a concert or the supper club because the supper club is right. always fun with the whole orchestra. And how many people um, How many people can go to the supper club? What is your capacity at the supper club at Club M? Uh, like, I well, we had 326 at one time, but I think comfortably oh, like 200 and... I mean, that was because there were a lot right. of walking people everywhere, but that wasn't that comfortable. About 250, I would say. 100 seated and the other 100... And the other 50 on the patio or 60 mm-hmm. on the patio and the rest walking around. Now, with the Martini Club, how, how many... What is that venue? I wasn't able to go to that show. I was so upset I couldn't go to that show. 
Okay. <laughs> that was the French show. Uh-huh. It it seats one forty six. Mm-hmm. It's a very intimate room. It's like a Feinstein's in mm-hmm. New York or something like that. It's cool. great. It's fantastic. It's like is that one of your favorites? It is. It is one of my favorites anywhere in the mm-hmm. world. Actually, really, yeah. I love martinis. I love the owners. I love how they run the place. Mm-hmm. I love how they respect artists. I love how they're bringing San Diego like all these amazing artists coming in. And I don't think people understand what they're doing. Like it's like a New York in San Diego. Cool. LA doesn't even have a place like that. And the martinis are so amazing. They're like, <laughs> you just it's like one martini, two martini floor. They're huge. Wow. And one's called Who Needs a Man. That's the one I order. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna have to check out this martini. And I do love a good dirty martini with those, some blue cheese olives. So they're one of the best to. martinis in town, actually. All right. They're like in these glasses like the <laughs> I'm definitely going to have to try that out then. So when you go to New York, where do you like to go and listen to jazz? I like to go to Lincoln Center, okay. to, the Coca- to Dizzy's Coca-Cola Club. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my favorite. I like to go to Birdland, but I do love, 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 love. If it's like me, I'm just going to go sit and listen to the music, mm-hmm. and you can still chat a little bit. Mm-hmm. I like to go to the Carlisle, which is okay. my favorite, to the Bemelman's Bar. And then Oh, I love the Bemelman's Bar. That's like my favorite place, actually, on it's my. I would agree with that statement. Yeah. I would agree with that statement wholeheartedly. It takes you and transports you to a whole different era. Yeah, well, I gotta say that when I was a little kid, Madeline, mm-hmm. Madeline was my favorite. Mm-hmm. So to find a bar with Madeline all over everywhere, it, I know. Hello. Oh, and next door is Cafe Carlisle, which I love to go see shows. Ah, my favorite male singer, Brian Stokes Mitchell. I had to, I had to say that. You gotta <laughs> put a link to him. Okay, he's, for sure. He's an he's an amazing human being, a spiritual, wonderful human being, and he's got a voice on him. He's a baritone. He's amazing. He's okay. amazing. I can never get tired of watching him perform. I mean, I could literally sit there for hours and hours and hours and hours and just sing more. You know. <laughs> so now, do you do that? A, do you do that a lot even here in San Diego? Do you just kind of go and hide out and go listen to live music when you're in San Diego? I do sometimes, but it's hard to hide. <laughs> Do you do you have a hard time also not kind of joining in when you're out and about listening? I'm totally okay to like just hang out and mm-hmm. watch, you know, and not I love that. Mm-hmm. I love to support other people in the community and go listen. Sometimes I'm I, what I, what I have a hard time is I'm trying to blend in and I'm not very good at it. Especially in a musical scene, people know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little hard to yeah. to be ignored. <laughs> I do know that if I want to like be ignored, mm-hmm. then I can just go out in like a t-shirt and tennis shoes and nobody like they'll if no makeup on and like my hair and like with a hat on and they'll be like, "Huh?" They like do a Sasha. double take like, and I'm like, "Oh, this works. This works." You know? That's fantastic. Do you have a favorite song? I know that's a really terrible question to ask. Why would you even ask about the song? I want you to sing us out. For all we know, we may never meet again. Before you go, make this moment sweet again. We won't say goodnight until the very last minute. And I will hold out my hand. And my heart will be in it for all we know. This may dream for we come and we 
like the ripples in a stream. So love me tonight, tomorrow was made for some. Tomorrow may never come for all we That's Sasha Boutros, everybody. Thank you for having me. Ciao, everybody. You've been listening to Maidcast, a podcast with insight into the journeys of successful entrepreneurs, creatives, and other noisemakers. Never miss a show by subscribing to Maidcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. And don't forget to click on the show notes for links from our guests. Until next time, I'm Marie Daniels. <laughs>